If you have your Bibles, I want you to open with me to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, and then also we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. So 1 Kings 19, Luke chapter 9, and we started a series last week called A Tale of Ridiculous Faith. We're looking at the character study of Elisha. <clears throat> and last week we talked about the fact that we walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, cool story there with Elisha. Well, today I want to talk for a few moments about ridiculous commitment. Say commitment. How many of you struggle with that word? All right, you, you guys are a lot better than I am because when I was, I was going back in my mind, one of the biggest commitments that I made that scared the snot out of me was uh, I was 21 and I had been dating Rachel for three years and uh, I knew that she was kind of leaning towards wanting to be married and I knew that I kind of liked her and, and I wanted to marry her, but I was just scared. I was scared of, of pulling the trigger, so to speak. I was care, scared of making the commitment because I didn't know what the future holds. And, and there was something about that phrase, till death do us part, that freaked me out. And so I, I've told the story before that I, I was praying that prayer right up to the wedding day. And if, if the lights would have flickered, I was like, God, just give me a sign and I'll be out of here. And the lights might have flickered. And I'm not sure that I wouldn't have bailed out the back door that I was near um, in that little church in Granite, Oklahoma. Well, I'm glad that I committed and I can tell you, hindsight's always twenty twenty. looking back. I'm like, man, it's been amazing. But how many of you have the same thing? I mean, maybe you've had to move away from home. I remember that. Moving from home for the first time was scary. It's a big step. Changing careers, changing jobs, maybe marriage for you too. I think we all understand the commitment um, is sometimes it's kind of hard to take those steps of, of commitment. <clears throat> how many of you know it would be easier to make commitments if you had foresight? Yeah, wouldn't that be cool? It's like, I could just fast forward the VCR tape in my brain. For the younger people, that's a cassette tape that has some video tape in it. It works really cool, but you push the fast forward button, and it's like, I see the end. It'd be so much easier to commit at the front if I could see the end. Well, guess what? I got some bad news for you. We don't get to do that. But the one thing that we do have is we have a God that says, in all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will show you which path to take. Amen. We have a God that loves us. We have a God that knows. And he says, hey, look, just trust me. Acknowledge me in all of your ways, all of your decisions, and I'll show you which path to take. But we have to walk that path by faith, right? And so what I want to do is go back to the beginning of Elisha's call before Elisha was the prophet. Um, and I want to look at his call when God called him to replace Elijah as prophet. And so we're going to look at uh, a couple of observations in the first verse. There's only three verses today. Um, and then we'll look at two characteristics of ridiculous uh, faith. So if you're with me in 1 Kings chapter 19, we will read uh, verses 19, 20, and 21. But pray with me one more time, please. Father, whew, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thanks for the opportunity to just worship with your people, to worship you, to lift you up, to magnify you. Lord, at the end of the day, it's not about us, but it's about you. I thank you that you love us enough that you want us to come before you. You want us to get to know you, and you, you've shared your word with us so that we can get to know you. And I, and I ask that today as we talk about commitment, well, that you'll just let us see maybe in Elisha's life uh, a few things that we can apply in our own life and give us the courage and the, the faith, that ridiculous faith to just take a step um, and to display ridiculous commitment in our lives. Lord, open our eyes, let us behold wonderful truths from your word today. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. So, let's begin <clears throat> in verse 19. I'm going to just read the, the three verses quickly, and then we'll go back and talk about it. 
<clears throat> verse 19, so Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. Elisha went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders, and then he walked away. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah, and said to him, First, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Elijah replied, Go on back, but think about what I have done to you. So Elijah returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah as his assistant, as his servant, as his mentee, if you will, to begin his ministry as a prophet. Isn't that crazy? You talk about ridiculous commitment, taking a step of commitment, no holds barred, just crazy, like, I'm in. I love this story. And like I said, there's only three of them, so let's go ahead and look at verse um, 19 again. So Elijah went and found. The first thing I want you to know is who's doing the calling. Um, It's not Elijah. Elijah was just God's messenger. But if you go back to verse 15, it says, then the Lord, say Lord, So the Lord told him, go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to to be king of Aram, and then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be the king of Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. So Elijah is on a mission. God's told him, go find Elisha, and you're going to anoint him as your replacement. So Elijah is just being obedient in verse 19. I don't know how you would do or how I would do, but if some dude walked up to me when I was working and just threw his cloak over my shoulders, I'm sure I'd be questioning, like, what, what's that all about? It's weird, man. Get away from me, weirdo. But in their culture, Elijah knew exactly what it was. It says, Elijah went and found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th So just picture Elisha is in the middle of a field. There's 12 team of oxen, two per team. That's 24 oxen. And Elisha is working with the 12th team. That means he's in the back seeing all the rear ends and everybody else. And he's just working in the middle of the field. There's two observations in that verse that I want us to see. First off is who was called. The one that's called is Elisha. And I believe that means God is my salvation or something like that. Uh, But Elisha was called. Now, it's, it's interesting to me that Elisha was not raised in the school of prophets like other prophets were. I mean, they were raised in schools that taught them how to be a prophet. Some of them came from a a priestly family. Elisha did not. Some of them were, you know, in influential areas. I mean, those are the ones that usually became prophets. I want you to see uh, the first observation is Elisha was an ordinary person. And here's what we need to know. God chooses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God was about to take Elisha, who's a farmer. No, I'm not to minimize what you do as farmers, guys, but I mean, compared to prophet, come on, that's pretty cool, right? Pretty significant upgrade. So um, Elisha, a, a farmer, and he's called to be a prophet with some immense responsibility, huge responsibility, great authority, and great power. God uses ordinary people. Can just consider for a minute, go back in the Bible and consider some of the people that God chose. God chose Moses, who stuttered, right? 
He, he, he chose Gideon, who was, in the, the, he was threshing wheat in a hole because he was scared of uh, the Midianites. He chose David over all the stronger brothers. David, the little shepherd boy out in the field. God chooses ordinary people to do amazing and extraordinary things. Are you with me so far? So Elisha is an ordinary person, and I want us to see this, that God can take someone who maybe not, my mom and dad were in ministry, um, I, I've got some uncles in the ministry that are pastors, but I was not raised specifically in this, I didn't just come up through the ranks, uh, but I heard the call of God years ago in my life, and here I am as a, as a preacher now, but God doesn't always take people um, from those types of situations, he calls people at random, and, and here's the thing, we may look at people and say, nah, you got the wrong one, God, but he looks at the heart and not the outside, amen? And so God chooses an ordinary person in Elisha, and he gives him a serious upgrade. He says, I'm going to make him a prophet with huge responsibility, power, and authority. So God uses an ordinary person to do an extraordinary thing, so don't count yourself out. Don't think God can't use you. Don't think that it can never happen for you because God is in the habit of doing some pretty crazy stuff through nobodies or ordinary people. Amen? I jokingly say, you know, in the Old Testament, God spoke through a donkey, Balaam's donkey, and I said, he does it every week on the pulpit of living water. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Observation number two that I want you to see. <clears throat> so Elijah went and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, plowing a field. There were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing with the 12th team. I looked that word up in the plowing in, uh, in the Greek, and here's what it means. Work. No, it doesn't, but that's just my interpretation of it. He was working. Elisha was busy working. Now, I know how sometimes we think is like, if God wants to, to use me to do something big, then I got to hurry up and get rid of this job so that I can get busy doing whatever God has for me next. Here's the, here's the observation. God knew where Elisha was at, and God found him through Elijah working in a field. And here's, here, because he was going to do something great and significant, and powerful, um, here's the observation. I believe that God rarely chooses idle people for big things. You know, Jesus never went to the marketplace. He never went to the, the town square and called those that weren't doing anything. He called the disciples who were fishermen by trade, people who were tax collectors by trade. Moses was a, a shepherd. David was a shepherd. Gideon was threshing wheat. They were all working when God called them, when God came to them. Here's the, the observation that I want us to, to see is there is no shame in hard work. And we, whatever it is that we find ourselves doing, we need to be faithful to that work, knowing that when it's time for the upgrade, God knows where we're at, and I think he blesses obedience and he blesses good work. In fact, it says those who are faithful with little things, he'll reward with greater responsibility. And so God chooses Elisha. Elisha is working. I think it's interesting that he wasn't at home after working, but he's in the middle of a field working. And so there's the call. The prophet comes up to him and he throws his cloak. There's this outer cloak, cloak this wool, rough wool, probably sheepskin, outer covering that when people saw that, they knew it was the prophet's cloak, okay? By this time, everybody knew who Elijah was because he'd already slain the prophets of Baal. I mean, he called for no rain for three plus years or whatever it was, and, and then he called for rain again. So they knew the prophet Elijah. So when Elijah's working, and he's just minding his own business, plowing with the, the, the oxen in the field, and Elijah walks up and throws his cloak over his shoulders, there was zero doubt in Elisha's mind what that meant. 
It wasn't a mistake. It didn't freak him out like it would have freaked us out. He knew that that meant, whoa, I'm coming under the care of the prophet Elijah. I'm about to be, uh, he's my mentor. I'm about to be a student. In fact, I'm like, it's like adoption. He's adopting me as his own, and I'm about to spend the rest of my life with him learning and becoming a prophet like Elijah. He knew what it meant, right? So let's look at his response. How do you respond to that when you know God's calling you to something extraordinary? He's just calling you. Here's the two characteristics that we see from Elisha's life. And I love this. Verse 20, it says, so, so he threw the cloak on him, and then he walks away. Elijah walks away. It says, Elisha left the oxen standing there. So, so I can just see him going, whoa, whoa. And it says, he ran after Elijah and said to him, first, let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I will go with you. Now, time out. If you know the New Testament, you know there was someone that was rebuked for that. We'll look at that in a moment. Um, but in the New Testament, it's because they were delaying their responsibility. They were delaying obedience. In this time, in the Old Covenant, he's going to be a prophet. And it was naturally, I mean, just normal for someone to say, hey, let me go and say goodbye to my family. I'm about to go leave. I'm about to be a prophet in the school of prophet living with you. Uh, let me have a moment to go back and kiss my mother and my father. That was associated with receiving their blessing. So Elisha's saying, hey, I'm ready to go, but I want to go home first and say goodbye to my family. Let them know what's, I didn't get kidnapped in the middle of the field. I need to let them know what's up, right? And, and to kiss my father and my mother, bye. And that was like saying, I want to receive their, their blessing. Son, hey, you go, go, go be that prophet, whatever. So it says, let me do that. And then Elisha told him, go on back, but think about what I have done to you. There's an idiom in the Hebrew um, what have I done to you? And that's what that is in, in, in the original language. And all it means is, what's stopping you? Do what you got to do. Do what you need to do. Go ahead. Take care of business. But, but in the New Living Translation, I like it. It says, um, but think about what I have done to you. I've been called by God to call you, Elisha, and I threw my cloak on you, which represents God's calling you as the next prophet. So don't minimize that. Don't, don't minimize that, what I'm about to do, what God is doing through you, so um, make it snappy, all right? So the, the first characteristic that I want us to see in this verse is um, Elisha's instant obedience. He didn't delay in the obedience. You might think he did. He said, let me go say bye to mom and dad first, but listen to what he says, and then I will go with you. Hey, I'm in. I'm committed. I, I want to do this. But, but let me go take care of some loose ends quickly, and I'll be right back. I'm in. I'm all in. Instant obedience. That's important to me. Because for a man who likes to drag his feet when it comes to commitment, it's cool to see a ridiculous commitment in Elisha when he knows that God's calling him and God's drawing him into a certain area. He was like instant obedience. He was ready to go. Amen? So Elisha's obedience was um, Instant. And here's another thing that we need to know there is we don't have to understand everything fully to obey God immediately. Let me say that again because I think we struggle with that one. Remember the foresight question? We don't have to understand everything fully. God, what's this discipleship going to look like? God, what's this job going to look like? What's this mission or this ministry going to look? We don't have to understand everything fully to be obedient immediately. You know what God's calling us to do? Take a step, right? 
Just take a step and trust me. But, 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 but God, I, I'm like, I want a GPS coordinates and, and a layout of the map. Show me where, where I need to go. Consider when he came to Abraham, he said, Abraham, go to the place that I'll tell you. <laughs> okay. Could you give me some coordinates? Could you give me some direction? Wh- which way do I go? East, west, north? I mean, he just said, Abraham, go. And, and this is Abraham was obedient. I love that. You don't have to understand everything fully. In our culture today, I think we got that backwards. We want to know all, all the T's are crossed, all the I's are dotted, all of my bases are covered before I take that step of commitment. But what we see is a ridiculous commitment is somebody that says, you know what, God, I trust you. I trust you. The cloak on the shoulders, there's zero doubt what this is all about. And I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm obedient, immediate obedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. So that's characteristic number one. That's what he did. He just obeyed immediately. He understood, he put his trust, and he was committed immediately. Verse 21, another characteristic. And this one freaks me out. I was like, no, in my mind's eye, I'm like, uh, why the waste? Why the extremism? Why don't you just take that team of oxen and go, hey, you guys over here, come and man these oxen. I got a, a call. I got to go and take care of uh, my father's business, and, and I, I'm ready to take the next step. And so y'all come and, and man this. No, look what it says. It says, Elisha returned to his oxen. So he immediately goes to Elijah, Elijah and says, I will follow you. Just let me go say goodbye to mom and dad first, to kiss them goodbye. Um, and Elijah says, go take care of business. He immediately comes back to his oxen, and he kills them. Extreme much? Now, some would say this is a sacrifice. I don't think it was a sacrifice. I mean, it was to him, but it wasn't like a holy sacrifice. He slaughtered them. And then, on top of that, he took very important resources, tools, the plow and the, and the ox, um, the yoke that went across the oxen's neck, and he provided a fire to cook the food on. As he passed around the meat to the townspeople, and they all Eight. Here's the, the second thing I want us to see in Elisha's commitment. It was sacrificial. It was immediate, and it was sacrificial. I mean, that was a big sacrifice. In fact, I think that when God wants to do something really big, and he wants to use us in a big way, the less that we are willing to hold on to, the more God is willing to use us. Elisha shows us great sacrifice to have that kind of plow-burning faith. You know what he's doing, don't you? He's, he's getting rid of his escape hatch. He's getting rid of his alternative uh, plan. If this don't work out, I can always come back to the family. Uh-uh, they're dead. He burned them and ate them. Well, if things don't work out in prophet school with Elijah, if I get mad at him and, and bail, I've got a backup plan. Listen, there is no retreat when there are no options. In fact, there is a, a legend, um, I think it was Cortez when they were uh, landed at, in Mexico and, and, and conquering that, that uh, they said that the soldiers came up to the top of the hill and he made them turn around. And when they turned around, all the ships were burning. I don't think that part's accurate in the history, but I think they were dismantled to the point where they could use everything as resources and they were useless uh, ships. And, and the legend goes on that they saw them burning and, and what he was saying to them is there's no option. You're only going to be able to go forward now and conquer. That's exactly what they did. What would happen if we, when it comes to our commitment to God, had a plow-burning faith? If we're like, you know what, I'm going to burn the plows, I'm going to burn the bridge behind me, because I'm fully 100% committed 
to go. No turning back. There's a cute story about a game warden who caught wind of a fisherman. This fisherman was a great fisherman. He always came in with a ton of fish. No matter how, who else would fish, he would just outfish them. And they're like, what is the deal? Why is he so good? And so finally a game warden's like, something's fishy, pun intended. The, something's not right with this. And so he meets the man on the bank the morning he's going to go out and fish again. He says, I'm going with you to fish today because I want to see what's up. Just get in the boat. So the old man and the game warden get in the boat, and they go out to the middle of the lake. You can't see the bank around them anywhere. <laughs> this old man reaches into a bag, and he pulls out a stick of dynamite. He lights it, throws it in the water. About three seconds later, there's this huge mass of water coming out of the lake, and then the water settles, and all these fish start floating to the top. And he just takes his net and scoops them up, puts them in the bucket. By this time, the game warden's going, you, you can't do that. That's illegal. What are you doing? Calmly, the old man reaches into the bag, grabs another stick of dynamite, lights it, throws it into the lap of the game warden, and says, are you going to talk or are you going to fish? Now, God won't put us into a position to make us make those kinds of choices, but I do believe that he wants us to have that kind of an attitude, no turning back. Amen? When we commit, no turning back. Elisha shows us Instant obedience, and he shows us sacrifice. Jesus, uh, Luke chapter 9, I had you turn there. Um, Jesus was approached by three individuals in Luke chapter 9, and he speaks of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus. In chapter 9, verse 57, I want to read this quickly, and I want to make some observations here. As they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. But Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. What he's saying is, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to give up some personal comfort. If you're going to follow me, just consider the fact that I don't even have a place to lay my head, and you're going to have to give up some of your comforts in life, the expectations, these luxuries that you guys have. You're going to have to give those up if you want to follow me. He said to another person, come, follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first, let me return home and bury my father. Now, this is where it sounds a lot like the, the, the passage in, uh, in uh, 1 Kings. But here's the difference. I was thinking about this, like, why is there a contradiction here? Think about the message. Elijah is a prophet in the Old Testament, and he's prophesying for kings, and he's just kind of building. Jesus is... Son of God, God in the flesh, new covenant. The message of Jesus is so much more significant than the message of the prophet Elisha, right? And so he's saying, let me go bury my father first. Some people say, well, he he was wanting to just go bury them. Maybe dad was sick, but in their culture, they didn't bury them until, I mean, they had to do it immediately after they died. And so what some commentators believe is that what he was saying is the bury my father reference was, hey, I'm a a man and I've got an inheritance coming. And so let me first go see my father to the grave and get my inheritance and then I'm going to be set. I'm ready to go. Jesus responds to that man. He says, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God because this is an important message. And I think what he's saying here is when we choose to follow him, that sacrifice sometimes may be inheritance, it may be money, it may be the securities that we think that we got. He's like, listen, follow me. The message of the kingdom is so significant and so important. Verse 61, another said, this is the third person, yes, Lord, 
I will follow you, but first, let me say goodbye to my family. Jesus said, anyone who puts his hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. He's putting a significance on uh, obedience, on committing to following him. There's something else that I noticed in that passage. Verse 59 and verse 61, two of the responses. Lord, what does Lord mean? He's master. Who's in charge? The master, right? So there's a contradiction here. He says, Lord, and then look there, and then Exodus says, first, let me. First, me. Lord, me first. Are you with me? You see the oxymoron there, the contradiction? Like, Lord, you're, you're, you're the master, but, but me first. And I think that sometimes that can be a roadblock to our obedience when we say, God, I want to be obedient to you, but first let me. He's like, it ain't about you. Follow me. So what? So what? What does it mean? What's at stake? Well, I think it depends on what God's calling us to. I believe that there's a general call to salvation. He's willing that none should perish. He wants us all to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he calls us into relationship with him, right? Beautiful, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. A beautiful invitation to respond to his calling. What should our commitment be like to that? I remember as a kid hearing the messages and hanging onto the pew in front of me and just feeling the conviction, feeling led to take that step of faith, but just, <clears throat> what are my friends going to think? <clears throat> you know, I'm going to be embarrassed. What are they going to do when I get up there? And there's just all these things that went along with it. And I just think back of the times when God was calling us. I do believe there's a general call to salvation. And what's at stake there is eternity. Amen? Now, it's not to say that you don't want to obey. It's just the delayed obedience. Uh, you may not get the opportunity to trust him tomorrow. Because James says life is a vapor. It's here one moment, it's gone the next, right? So when it comes to the general call of salvation, I believe that the response should be immediate, amen? And, and recognizing there's a cost to following him. He says, if they hated me, if they abused me, that you're probably gonna get ridiculed. In fact, you'll go to your families and you'll probably get ridiculed in your family, at your work, for being a disciple. But listen, what is waiting for you on the other side of eternity far outweighs all of that stuff. Count the cost, but follow me. What's at stake? Eternity. But for others, maybe God's calling you to something specific, something bigger, a leadership role or a new vocation, ministry opportunity. The question um, is, do we demonstrate faith in that or do we demonstrate doubt? And then the difference between those two is success and failure. Is like if I want to be successful, I want to learn to display this crazy, ridiculous commitment like Elisha did. And when we do that, you just see God start moving and open doors and working things out. And, and I hate to use me as an example of time, but that's, I know me better than I know you. And so, um, and I know that the, the moves that we made from Oklahoma to here the first time ever, big step, big commitment. I remember going into ministry. I remember Rachel and I walking the aisle. And I remember saying, we don't know what he wants to do with us, but we are his. Wherever he leads us, we want to follow. We want to be obedient to that. And we just submitted to full-time ministry back in the day. God allowed me to lead in worship for several years. And then when the opportunity came for me to move to liberal Kansas, same thing. God, you open the door, I'll take a step of faith, and I'll walk through it. All of those required commitment. And just to have the kind of ridiculous commitment, I don't always have it. 
But I, I want to display that kind of a ridiculous commitment when it comes to trusting God because he is trustworthy, right? It's not like us, you or me. Like, you're asking me to do something, I might drag my feet in commitment because you're, you're, you're fallible. But he's infallible. He's never going to leave us. He's never going to forsake us. There's nothing too difficult for him. But when it comes to God, when it comes to the call of God, you can trust him to take a step. And you don't have to have it all figured out at the beginning. Amen? You can say, God, I don't understand how all this works, but I just know right now you're telling me to take this step. Take that one step. If it's beyond just a general call and it's like a specific area of ministry or call to action, you know, do we trust him that where the finger of God points, the hand of God provides the way? I read that in a commentary 25 years ago, and it stuck with me because I think there's a lot of truth to that. If God points the finger, he's going to provide the resources for everything you need to do what he's called you to do. Amen? Here's another one I learned in liberal. There's a lady uh, there that just always said, and I love it, she said, Shane, God is waiting on the other side of your obedience. Step one was obedience. And God's just waiting on you on the other side of your obedience for you to say, yes, Lord, take a step of faith. And guess what? He begins to work and move all the... The point is for us, when it comes to following him, when it comes to discipleship, when it comes to his call, it's like displaying a ridiculous radical faith and displaying that ridiculous commitment to say, God, I trust you enough that I'm going to take a step. It's almost... It feels careless, but we walk by faith and not by sight, right? And so, God, I feel like you're calling me, and I'm going to take a step. Now, here's a word of caution for those of you that are not like me. You're like, woo, you just bail out in the middle of whatever it is. Hey, slow your roll. Make sure God's opening the door. Make sure it is God calling you to do whatever it is. I mean, seek wise counsel. Don't go quit your job. I do not want to get an email tomorrow. Don't do it. Don't do it. Um, I feel like God wanted me to quit my job, and Shane told me to, and I did it. And, and I'm like, no, you bonehead. I mean, you heard the first part of this. God blesses those who are committed to working. Whatever you're doing, do it with all your might. But just know that God can find you there, and God can do some powerful things even in the middle of that. Amen? And it rewards good, hard work. So make sure he's opening the door. Don't, don't kick the doors open. I know some of us are like that. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna bust onto the scene. And I'm gonna be big and all that stuff. Just wait for his cues. Wait for his doors to open because when we kick the door open, when we take those steps on our own, we're like leaving. He's like, hey, I'm gonna do that, but I'm not ready yet and you're on your own, sucker. You know, and I don't wanna be there. I want him right beside me every step of the way. So wait for the open door. The other thing is, if he closes a door, don't, don't be an idiot. Don't try to open that door. Someone's like, God, I want this so bad, but Lord, your will, not my will. And he goes, okay, I'm gonna close the door. Like, no, 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 no. And then we just try to keep it, you know, wedged there. Are you following me? Trust him, wait for his cues, but he rewards ridiculous commitment. And I think, I think that's a beautiful picture in Elisha's story, just immediate obedience. God, I trust you, and I'm gonna take a step, even when I can't tell what's going on around me, even when I don't have all of it figured out, I don't have foresight, I don't understand everything fully, but I trust you. That's faith. That's ridiculous faith. Amen? What's your response? What is it that God is calling you to do? What is it that he's challenging you in? What is it that you need to take back to him in prayer and say, I, you know, have I been delaying in this? Have I been dragging my feet? If it's in the call to his gracious gift of salvation is, is today. Is he speaking? Hey, today's the day. Don't delay. 
whatever that decision is, as we pray and dismiss, after we dismiss, if you want to come forward for prayer, counsel, whatever, I, I want to encourage you. That, that invitation is always open, um, but I hope you're challenged today, as I've been challenged, to just follow the, the, the examples that we have in Scripture and show um, God what ridiculous faith and ridiculous commitment look like. And I'm all in because I trust you, and I know that if God's for me, nothing, amen, can be against me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the example of Elijah and Elisha. Lord, on the surface, we look at it and say, that's just crazy. Father, we need a little crazy in our culture today, in our life. Crazy for you. Lord, we need bold people to step up and to trust you and just have this bold, over-the-top, ridiculous faith like we talked about last week. And we know that we don't see that through our visual or our physical eyes. We know that that comes through faith. And we know we grow in our faith when we get into your word, when we get to know you more, your character, your will, your ways more. So God, I pray that that would spur us into trying to get to know you just a little bit more, to hear your heartbeat, to hear your direction for our lives. And Lord, I pray that as we look at the example of this ridiculous commitment, Father, we'll quit delaying, we'll quit dragging our feet, quit expecting you to give us a roadmap to the end, the end point and all the points in between. But Father, that we'll just say, Lord, I trust you. I trust you. Your ways are higher. Your thoughts are higher. I mean, I trust you. And that we would just obey you with an immediacy that we, when you speak, we say, yes, Lord. And we take a step of faith. And Father, that we would hold on loosely to the stuff in this world that we cling to. But for some of us, it's just, it's, it's the relationships around us. It's our, our cliques, our groups, our friends, our, our goals, our dreams, our desires, our money, our security, our comfort. God, help us to see that there's value in, in just letting go of that stuff, anything that holds us back, to have that plow-burning kind of an attitude, that no-turning-back mentality to put our hands to the plow of discipleship and not look back because we burned those plows. But Father, whatever it is that we're hanging on today, I pray that we can just put that before you and say, I'm done with that. And for some, it may be some of the relationships that we're entangled with. Some of them, it may be um, a, a job situation or a specific area in their life. But God, I pray that you'd reveal that to us and help us to have the courage and the obedience to take a step of faith, to trust you and to display a ridiculous commitment for your glory and for your honor. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.